Okay, Molly, we got a couple of announcements. First off, we're going to be doing a Patreon hang tonight. So if you're listening right now on Saturday, July 3rd, we are talking tonight at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And I will be in Iowa, so I will see you 6 p.m. Central Time. It's going to be an encounter of the spooky kind. Is it because we'll be drinking or because we'll be telling summer camp stories or both? Find out tonight on patreon.com slash sex with ghosts. We'll see you there. But for our second announcement, our winner of the monthly survey raffle is Gary. Gary, we will be sending you a special treat in your inbox. So look out for that. If you want to win a special treat from us, fill out our survey on our social media. And it's also a link in our show notes that is at sex with ghosts underscore on Twitter and Instagram. We will be running this raffle for one more month. So be sure to get in before the end of July. And thanks again, Gary, for taking the time to give us feedback. Welcome to Sex with Ghosts. I'm Bridget, and I'm here with Molly. Hello. So last week, we talked about John Lennon and his spicy history with the United States. Indeed. I believe I left off saying that a lot was about to change for him, and by change, I mean end in 1980, a month before his citizenship would have been certified. Yes. And it is the fate named Mark David Chapman. Exactly right. So I'll start with a little bit of background because some of the details we're going to get into today regarding Mark David Chapman and his conspiratorial allegations that he may have been working with the CIA will make some more sense once we kind of know his past. Mm, Okay. He came from an abusive home, and he was bullied a lot at school. So there's some boxes checked when you grow up to be someone who assassinates a famous person. Yeah. If you haven't picked it up, that's his involvement. (laughs) God, I hate this, but it, it is very similar to the modern day school shooter where Instead of trying to assassinate someone famous, they're using other means. Yeah. And now they have more powerful weapons. It's true. He was known to talk to imaginary people that he said lived in the walls of his childhood home. He's from Texas. His father was a former sergeant in the Air Force. His mother was a nurse. He was a huge Beatles fan growing up before he became a born-again Christian. Also, allegedly, he read a book that talked about 
the wealth disparity between John Lennon and the rest of America and how there's a lot of hypocritical parts to his life, right? He has all this wealth that he's fighting for the pores. Sure. But remind me, was that also the story of the other assassination beetle attempt? Oh, so that's where it's similar, is that both were allegedly fans. In the case of George Harrison's attempt, the guy said he that George Harrison was the devil and a witch that was controlling him. Oh, so it's uh, slightly different. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of variations on what Chapman says were the motivations for his murder mm-hmm. for John Lennon. Like, there's things from I thought I would become famous if I killed him and things like he was a hypocrite and I had to do something about it. And so it is kind of strange that when he talks about his motive, that it's inconsistent. And I think that does help fuel conspiracy. Sure. But he also is like clearly an unhinged person. So right, right. It's kind of like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know because I still not, I'm not not convinced that it wasn't the CIA. Sure. I don't know that there's any conspiracies about George Harrison's assassination attempt. Yeah, that seems pretty like cut and dry and consistent. Yeah. Whereas this is a little bit more complicated. Yeah. And there's, there's reasons for that and we'll definitely go into them. Mark David Chapman is actually married. So he married in 1979 to Gloria Abe Chapman. There's reports that their relationship was abusive when they started dating, but she went ahead and married him anyways. Well, that's not really saying anything. Exactly. But it is, I do find it remarkable that she is still married to him. Even now. Even now. Wow. He's allowed one conjugal visit a year. Wow. I'm, wow. That is, wow. <laughs> I'm I'm a little shocked. Did they let him have sex or? That she would continue to go. I think she has been, she's an outspoken, like I'm a Christian type of person. Oh, okay. Right, because he became a born-again Christian, and Christians don't divorce. Makes sense. Okay, continue on. So in the early 70s, he works on and off as a YMCA counselor, and he buys a one-way ticket, flies to Hawaii, attempts suicide by carbon monoxide poisoning. This is 1977, and he takes a job at a hospital where he receives treatment. Then he starts to embark around the world trip, and... Gloria helps him do this trip because she's a travel agent. So she helps him book it. So Chapman goes on this kind of bizarre trip, which I'm surprised. Well, I'll get to it, but I'm surprised that you don't hear more about Gloria's involvement in this whole thing. Yeah. I mean, what what is he telling his wife right now? Like, I just randomly need to go to this location. I need to see the world. I mean, I- yeah, by myself. It seems strange. I feel like in my research anyways, it was just like, oh, here's a side fact. 
It's interesting. Well, I'll get to why it's more interesting. I'm just like, I want to skip ahead now, but I won't because we all need to know who this guy is. Then after his trip, he quits his job at the hospital and he becomes a security guard, lives in Hawaii with his wife. A little interesting, another fact about this guy is that he was born May 10th, so that makes him a Taurus. And Tauruses are known for their charming and tactful personalities. He shares this earth sign with the Queen of England, Megan Fox, and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. What the heck? Okay, sure. I thought that was kind of interesting because you hear a lot about it when you go down the rabbit hole of the Zodiac. It's usually water signs that are like murderers, like Pisces and Aquarius. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am actually more surprised. Yeah. So it's not it's not in his sign to be murdering, but I also don't know what his, his other signs are. I don't know his chart. <laughs> but if anyone looks up their chart, please send it to me. So... During this time, he's becoming a boring and Christian. He becomes obsessed with the book, The Catcher in the Rye. And in October of 1980, Chapman decides he's going to kill John Lennon. And he flies to New York City. And he gets there and he realizes he needs ammunition. So then he goes to Atlanta to pick up some hollow point bullets from a friend of his. He is married at this point. He's married at this point. Okay. These bullets are supposed to help with aim. They're like more accurate. Okay, I get it. Sure. But also I think it's because they sort of stay intact. So they're the kind of bullets that are usually used to wound someone as opposed to murder or kill someone. Because uh, a lot of times that's what ends up killing people, right? It's the shrapnel uh, busting in your body and going to other parts of your organs, causing you multiple wounds from one shot just a little little gun knowledge that i have right there what's incredible is during this trip he watches the movie ordinary people and decides not to kill john lennon have you seen the movie ordinary people no i well have i let me look i don't think a lot of people in our generation have i watched it during the pandemic because at one point we were just going through the list of like best movies ever made and ordinary people is one on several lists and i think it's because the themes you're talking about is a young adult who's seriously contemplating killing themselves plus the alcohol abuse and the treatment of his mother which is kind of a pop psychology thing that was widely discussed at that time i've definitely not seen this movie so I think it's incredible that he watches this movie. The idea behind this movie is that the son wants to kill himself. He's the main character of this movie. He talks to Dustin Hoffman, who's like his psychiatrist or psychologist to help, you know, discuss what he's going through. His mother is played by Mary Tyler Moore. And the father character is also a very famous actor. But the the goofiness of watching ordinary people and your takeaway is not to kill John Lennon, I don't see a connection. Sure. Citing that, I haven't watched the movie, but that does seem a little bit of a stretch. Unless he's putting himself in the shoes of the main character and is using the suicide as like 
this impulsive need to make a statement and seeing how family is important and whatever else. I don't know. I think it's a stretch. I think it's weird that that movie somehow made him be like, you know what? Maybe John Lennon is not the guy I should go after. Sure. So he flies back to Hawaii and he tells his wife all about what he almost did. And she doesn't report it to anyone, which I feel like for 1980, that's probably pretty common that you are not reporting the psychiatric problems your loved one's going through. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like that hardly happens today. So he makes an appointment with a psychiatrist and he says he's going to go to treatment, but he actually ends up skipping it and instead returns back to New York City. So December 8th, 1980, Chapman is 25 years old. And he goes to the great city of New York and he finds Lennon near his residence, the Dakota, and he actually ends up hanging out there all day. So at one point he asks John to sign an album for him. And there's a picture of this like last moment between them where you can see John Lennon signing the album and Mark David Chapman standing sort of behind him. And it's, it's kind of very eerie, right? Because it's probably the last photograph ever taken of John Lennon. Yeah. And at another time, Chapman comes around and Sean is outside with the nanny. And Chapman goes up to him and shakes his hand <gasps> and starts like singing the lyrics to him that he's a beautiful boy. Oh, creepy, creepy, creepy. John Lennon wrote that song for Sean. Bad times. So later that day, uh, we're talking like at the end of the night. It's probably about 10 o'clock at night. Lennon and Yoko Ono step out of a white limousine. After they spent the day basically doing promotional work and working on their upcoming album. Chapman calls out Mr. Lennon before shooting the musician five times, four of which went in his back. Lennon responds, I've been shot. I've been shot. He was rushed to the hospital, but he was pronounced dead on arrival. After the shooting, Chapman pulls out a copy of The Catcher in the Rye and flips through the book while waiting for authorities to show up, referring to the book as his manifesto. When picked up by the cops, Chapman went willingly and took full credit for the tragedy. Okay. That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand how Catcher in the Rye could possibly be some sort of murderer's manifesto. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we'll talk about, I'll definitely go into more about the eeriness of Catcher in the Rye. But the idea behind the book, I've never actually read it, but... That's because I don't want to assassinate people. And hey, good job. And I've heard enough about it that one, I think by the time I really heard about what Catcher in the Rye was about, I was like, I think I'm too old for this book. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Have you read it? I have read it, but I was very young when I read it. And so whatever murderous manifesto part was, I definitely missed that part. So the idea is that in the book, Holden Caulfield, who is the main protagonist, is becoming disillusioned with the hypocrisy of what's happening in the real world and him leaving his childhood behind. So a lot of times when you 
read about Catcher in the Rye, like I have instead of actually reading it, it's often cited as this coming of age book. It's about the idea of losing your innocence and realizing that the world's actually kind of a sad, hypocritical place. So it becoming his manifesto, the other thing about the protagonist of this book, right? Doesn't he go after the people he finds hypocritical in his life? So there's this connection of you should go after those people. And in Chapman's case, the person he's going after is John Lennon. I see. I think I understand now. I was just kind of confused as to why that would mean murder. Yeah, it's this kind of idea of having the power to punish people for not upholding the idyllic beliefs that you may have. That's fine, but I also feel like it definitely sounds like he was just looking for an excuse to kill John Lennon. You know what I mean? I would agree with that, but, and I'll get into it, there is a very eerie relationship between Catcher in the Rye and assassinations. Oh, no, I don't like this. Okay. But before we get there, I think we're both interested in talking about who Gloria was. Definitely, because that is fascinating story. Yeah, so I want to play this sound clip, and it's it's her giving an interview after her husband was, I believe, arrested. December 10th, 1980. Being a Beatles fan, I mourn the death of John Lennon and feel great sadness for his wife, Yoko, and his son, Sean. Two days after her husband shot John Lennon, Gloria Chapman appeared oddly disconnected. Her answer to one question shocked many people. Gloria, do you still love Yes, very much. In this exclusive interview, she reflected on those days, saying she couldn't comprehend the enormity of what had just happened. For, I guess, the first few weeks, I was just in a dream kind of thing. I mean, it just didn't seem real, you know. As reality sunk in, it left Gloria wondering what happened to the life she had dreamed of when she first met Mark David Chapman in 1978. She saw him as a sort of a knight in shining armor. She did. She did. Jim Gaines is one of the only reporters to have interviewed Gloria Chapman. He says she spoke lovingly about her engagement. They were walking on the beach, and Mark said to Gloria, would you marry me? And she was just ecstatic. And she described it to me as the happiest day of her life. Um, Mark never did. Perhaps that was a glimpse into the misery, and she says, abuse that soon followed. I don't remember what I said, but I must have said something sarcastic, something in real hard like on my ear and it really kind of sent me you know my ears and stuff mm -hmm. I had to sit down so bad. Gloria's naive dreams of happily ever after vanished altogether the only place you could go for privacy was in the bathroom I just go in there lock the door and just cry you know and just say you know I can't take this you know how long am I gonna be like this you know this is so miserable Why do you think she stayed with him all these years? She was faithful. It was a virtue. 
you obeyed virtues. She was trying to be a good wife in an impossible situation. That was intense, but I appreciate it. It's very eerie. It's also, I feel like it could, I didn't come across this and it wasn't until after talking to you about Gloria that I think she could also be used in this CIA compliancy that we'll talk about because it seems very irrational for her to stay married and stay married to this guy 40 years later. Right. I would think that if anything, like anything that she said is pretty much not trustworthy because she is clearly devoted to her husband and will do anything for him. Yeah. And I feel like that could be an argument that maybe she was involved in the whole CIA plan too. Why? (sighs) In the first place, like she's setting up these trips for him. And I'm sure it might just be a, a like a time based thing, but still, that seems sketchy. It seems very sketchy. I just wanted to mention this because I think it's interesting. Yeah. Apparently, she grew up Buddhist mm-hmm. and then she converted to Christianity for this dude. And she's four years older than this dude. Too. So she's 26. He's 22 when he's like, let's get married. In this article in Hawaii News Now, she talks about she says that her darkest day was when Lennon died and she immediately decided to stay, even though her friends and loved ones encouraged her to leave her husband. And even her husband said divorce would be the best option. And he actually wouldn't allow her to visit him. For the first year, he cut her off. And I believe the first four years, he was like, don't visit me in jail. Sure. Which, to me, that like relates to the idea that this was the happiest day of her life, but not the happiest day of his life. He doesn't care. Like He's a bad person. Wait, but it's the happiest day of her life to have her husband locked up? No, no, no. Uh, like the the proposal part oh, from that yeah, video yeah, clip. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, this means a lot more to her than him, and he doesn't understand that until much later. Or at least that's the narration she's pitching if she's not a part of this sleeper cell theory. I think this is probably even more absurd to think about but, like, to me, it just seems like even if the CIA isn't involved, like, why isn't she involved? Oh, regardless. Like, CIA or not, she seems a little too accepting of the fact that her husband murdered one of the biggest pop stars at the time. Yes. In this article, she says, after he confesses, she says, he said my love had saved him. He even had me hold the gun, which was still cold from being in the plane's cargo hold. He, in December, when he travels to New York again, he says he wants to take a trip to clear his head, to grow up as an adult, to be a better husband and better person, and said that he threw the gun in the ocean and she believed him, but he had lied to me. I don't know. That just seems a little sketchy. Well, especially the 
you need to go to New York City to clear your head. Yeah, what? People go to the country to clear their head. You don't go to New York City to clear your head. You go to New York City to like fucking do drugs. But it's very interesting to me that she says she said that she instantly knew that when John Lennon died, it was her husband. So that's like weird and creepy. But also like, why would you admit that? There's a lot there. There's a lot there. Just to kind of bring things up to date before we go full CIA stooge here is that Chapman did plead guilty. He was sentenced 20 years to life in 1981. He has been denied parole every time he's tried. He is currently serving his sentence at the Wendy Correctional Facility in Alden, New York, near Buffalo. I don't know how up to date that is because I think I also read he was in Rikers at some point. Oh, that's a lot darker. Yeah, he did his first interview with people in 1987 and he did several after, which this is interesting because and we'll talk about it more, but. This is somebody who said he killed a famous person to become famous, and he doesn't do his first interview until 1987. Mm, That's weird. And he does a few other small interviews after that, but then these interviews become used as reasons to keep him locked up because they show he still has interest in his notoriety for the crime. But it's also kind of bizarre because why did he wait the six years to start talking about it? His next parole hearing is for August 2022. Yoko Ono does show up or at least writes in to every time he's up for parole and basically pleads with the court to not let him go because she believes he has not rehabilitated. Wow, that is dark. Oh, yeah. So as I mentioned several times, there's a very popular theory that Mark David Chapman was a stooge for the CIA. There's a book that I read a lot of the paraphrasing from by Phil Strongman. I kind of went down his route because he seemed like the most level-headed of the conspiracy theorists, if that makes sense. I mean, a lot of this is circumstantial evidence. But some of the things that Strongman points out is that Chapman has been identified as a deranged fan that came up again and again. But in his belongings, there were no apparent Beatles paraphernalia. This is, I think, a very complicated observation, as there could be a number of reasons why he didn't collect any of the iconography of the band, such as becoming a born-again Christian and feeling like the Beatles were sinful. Similar to this, Allegedly, Chapman had 14 hours of Lennon music with him, but no one has actually seen this evidence and there's no like photographic evidence of these 14 hours of music. It was just like a statement that was made. Like, what's the reasoning for pointing this out? Yeah, on both sides. So the CIA would want to point that out because they're trying to cover up why he actually killed them. Yeah, to help create a motive. We've seen deranged fans do all kinds of things, I think, prior to the assassination of John Lennon. Yeah. So it fits into a narrative that already exists. Well, so has he ever mentioned the fact that he's a fan? He has mentioned that he was a fan. And kind of like what I've said before about his motive is that in some statements he makes, it's like, I was a fan, but I was so upset 
with the hypocrisy that he was displaying. So I felt like I had to do something about it. And then in other statements, it was, well, I knew if I killed John Lennon, I would become famous. And so it's like you have these different motives sort of coming up that are inconsistent. And it just seems weird because as Strongman points out, Chapman also pleaded guilty. And by pleading guilty, that just speeds up his whole trial process, which thereby would be giving him less stage time to the world. And his lawyers wanted him to plead. I mean, he was being encouraged at that time to plead insanity and he refused that. So it's just kind of strange that like for somebody who did this grandiose gesture and felt committed enough to follow through with it at the time of your reckoning, which would probably be the time where you'd have more cameras, everyone wanting to interview you, he goes quiet. And kind of similar to that, his reaction to the shooting, we I already mentioned he pulled out his book and started reading it, but he also had like a very bizarre calmness and people liken it to, it seemed as though he had been trained. And so you might be thinking, well, okay, but how would they have trained Mark David Chapman? Yes. Well, he has a very strange travel history that we already talked about. And we did talk about how he went all over the world. But in his travels was also Beirut. And Beirut, the time of 1980, had major CIA operations going on. I'm still absolutely convinced that his wife is in on this. But that is a story for a different time. Well, I'll tie in my wife theory here as we're coming up to it. Because... Not only did he travel to Beirut, but he also traveled into other countries where the CIA had a known presence in 1975, including Japan, the UK, India, Nepal, Korea, Vietnam, and China. But why? Okay. I just, I just gonna keep on harping on this. Why the hell would he travel without his wife? To these places. If he's going to travel around the world, that doesn't make any sense. And he was known for not having any money. So he has no money. He's traveling the world with the help of his wife. And he moves to Hawaii, where there's also a lot of known CIA operations going on. Because Hawaii is, before it became a state, it was a naval base. And there's actually a lot of government stuff going on in Hawaii. Sure. But to be fair, if you were to name those countries, those would also be very common countries to visit as an American. I don't know. India. And, well, India would because we were going the counterculture was going through an enlightenment period where people were going off to India to find God. But Korea, I think that's a little strange because this also would have been post the Korean War. Vietnam, where we would have still been pretty hostile at that time. China, which Americans were not going. There's no way Americans were going to China in 1975. That would be an interesting question, because like, I I guess personally, I look at that list and I say, I want to visit all those places. So that's my personal bias. Well, and I I agree. I would want to go to all those places. But in 1975, the political climate was much different. It wasn't like, I'm just going to go hop on a plane and go to Japan in 1975. Like, I think it was 
much more complicated because of the political relationship. Like Japan, we just kicked their asses and blew them up in World War II. But at the same time, it could also be a lot less complicated because there was just like his wife being a travel agent. Like, I don't know. You could probably just hop on a plane and go like no, no one's going to stop you. That's also true. It was much easier to fly around. There was no TSA. Um, Planes were constantly being hijacked in the 70s. But one of the the biggest arguments for how it would work is Mark David as a shooter is that people keep bringing up the Manchurian candidate. And like Saran Saran, another similar assassination in that people are saying he must have been trained. So that's why he's going to all these locations. The CIA has a program that has been documented, but 90% of it has been shredded, which was the MK Ultra program where our government did, like there is documentation of this. Our government tried to use LSD as a mind control drug. Sure, but but I'm going to interject here and say, you are the one who is saying mind control isn't actually a thing. It's very difficult to achieve. But this is, I'm saying this from, this is the argument for it. Sure, okay, okay. I, I, yes, I'm just being skeptical. And here's what's compelling, though, about his wife. She helps him make all these trips. She's aware he's in New York. She's aware that he already went to New York to try to kill the Beatle. It sort of feels like she might somehow be involved. So part of the concept of the Manchurian candidate or a sleeper cell is that you've basically been hypnotized to kill someone, which I'm not full mind control is very hard, but being hypnotized to murder somebody that kind of does seem feasible because when we talked about cults and we're talking about mind control, it would be very difficult to control a person at all times. So part of a lot of that control isn't like, like we control your mind. It's the peer pressure and the group of the community, right? Right. Now in a sleeper cell sort of scenario, that isn't like we control Mark David Chapman all the time. He's actually free to live his boring psychotic life the way he wants to. But in terms of we now have a job for him to do, could you trigger somebody's subconscious into doing something that they would have otherwise not had an interest in doing? I think I see how that could be possible, but I think my questions around that would just be what benefit does Mark David Chapman have of getting this training in the first place? So that's a great question. That's one that comes up a lot is that people make the point to say, why would the CIA want to murder John Lennon after he has shown that he's kind of neutered himself from the counterculture movement? Like now he's a dad, he's making music again. He doesn't seem to be like pushing this socialist agenda. So why would the CIA go after him now? Plus it's a different administration. So that seems a little odd, but 
the argument for that has been anywhere from the CIA still saw him as a danger because of his fame to the CIA just like flexing their power. So there isn't a clear motivation for the CIA to necessarily murder John Lennon. And so that's like one of my own things I came across in my research that makes me feel like, well, that's a good point. Why would the CIA want to kill John Lennon? Yeah. Some other details about this. Strongman argues that there was also likely another shooter involved because of the bullet entry wounds. Ooh, another shooter. I don't really personally like to go down this rabbit hole because I don't know enough about guns. Yeah. And I feel like... That feels very RFK. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And people compare it to RFK and they compare it to JFK, right? Because JFK, you had the magic bullet. And same with RFK is that people argue that he was shot from behind, but Saran Saran was in front of him. Right, right, right. And then even over time, there has been very good arguments for how it's not the magic bullet, but it's the angle that they weren't accounting for that JFK was sitting in the car. So like, I feel like bullet bullet evidence theories. Yeah. It's, they seem believable because I don't know much about them. So if someone's like, yeah, this is what yeah. a bullet does, I'm like, sure. okay, sure. <laughs> but there's always like a, you know, someone there to counter it. So there's not a lot I could say, but the bullet evidence that he points out is that the bullets were very close together and they were on Lennon's left side, whereas Chapman was shooting from his right. But again, it's like you could still, I mean, I don't know how great of a marksman Mark David Chapman was, but I feel like even if you're on someone's right side, you could still shoot them on their left well, my immediate thought was you get shot on the right first and then you turn and then you get shot on the left because you're turning. And that's not even a bad point to make, too, when there were five shots made, but four shots went to his back. Right. So like the first shot could have been like the reaction shot. And right. Then right. The other four. So it's just a, I think that's a hard case to make, but. Please, if I'm being terribly naive or you're somebody who can clarify this for me and Molly. Oh, God, I don't know. think we have any listeners who are uh, marksmanship experts. You don't so. know. We might. We might. Well, I, I think there's a few of you in the military or were. And we mentioned the catcher in the right. So people say this book could have acted as some sort of trigger for the assassination like in a Manchurian candidate sort of way. So like he's reading this book, he's carrying on this book that's already kind of weird because he's a grown ass man. And this book is a book usually around the age of 14, you might find interesting. Yes, that was kind of interesting to me. So you have to figure why is this grown ass man carrying around this child's book and reading from it? And he actually signed the book, Holden Caulfield, and said this, so when he said that book with his manifesto, he like literally signed it. It was like, this is my manifesto. And this isn't the only assassination that has a link to this book. John Hinckley, who attempted to assassinate Reagan, was also obsessed with the book. There was an actress in the 70s and 80s. Her name was Rebecca Schaefer, 
She was killed by her stalker who had an apparent obsession with the book. And Lee Harvey Oswald, JFK's assassin, has also been linked to the book. So there is, I feel like in general, though, I've made this joke with people and I've been surprised how many times people were like, uh, actually, yeah, <laughs> which is when someone tells me someone's being like kind of erratic or sort of like one of those unhinged nerds. So it's like they're like a person like, well, actually, I know a lot about whatever, but they're also maybe a little bit on the manic scale. I've made the joke. Well, are they reading Catcher in the Rye? Jesus. Or have any strong oh. feelings about it? And the amount of time someone said like, yeah, actually, they like that book a lot. <laughs> it's like, okay, there's something, there's something triggering in that book, regardless. I totally understand that, but I think the more obvious answer is that that book appeals to those sort of people. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like the ice cream doesn't cause crime sort of thing. It's the false causation, which is possible. So like I said, a lot of this evidence that's presented for why he was working for the CIA is very circumstantial. And one of the things I thought was really odd about researching his affiliation with the CIA is that most of the conspiracies are published in tabloids or they're in self-published books or they're in books that are published by lesser known establishments. And I thought this was really interesting because even like when Paul is dead, you had like major news media publishing the hoax. And that was 11 years before this. And so it's, I think it's just very interesting that it's really hard to find a real source material for this theory. Because even the media usually will post or publish something that will dispute a claim. And I feel like I could not find a very well substantiated breakdown of this theory that even if it was disproving it, I mean, I, I couldn't find it. I have two thoughts on that. First is that because American tabloid media wasn't quite like the Daily Mail where it's like a long lasting kind of thing that maybe it just got lost and then the second one would be well then and quote unquote legitimate news sources at that time they're not going to respond to that for a lack of a better word garbage because like that's why people now point to things like, oh, you're responding to this? This means it's real or whatever. Because you're validating it by giving Yeah, it. yeah. I also think, though, it's because it's the CIA. Like, we had great source material for Paul is Dead. And that's because it's easily silly and speculative. But seeing the relationship that John Lennon had with the United States government and you're accusing the CIA of something pretty heinous and not the most heinous thing they've been accused of, I feel like that's why it's harder to find the material on it. Like, no one wants to 
no one really wants to upset the CIA. Sure. I, I think that my only last two things against this conspiracy theory would be that Mark David Chapman, like if he was, and maybe this is a kind of a newer trope, but like the fact that he wasn't himself in the military, how do you get involved with the CIA in the first place? And then second would just be the idea that I still don't necessarily see the benefit that Mark David Chapman gets from doing this. So I have answers for both of those. Oh, Jesus. Okay. I didn't expect that. Him not being involved in the military would actually make him a great candidate to fuck with in terms of can we make an average person murder a pop star? Yeah, but that just seems like more of a stretch. Like I get, I do understand what you're saying. I definitely do. But because if someone is already in the system, right? Then, then yeah, it kind yeah, of, yeah, I mean, yeah. at the very least, people speculate like what happened to this military person. I still have problems believing that the CIA would be that stupid. <laughs> and I hate to say it that way, but like if he was really like, if he's okay, he goes to Beirut because the CIA because the CIA asked him to. What is the likelihood that all those people who know he's in Beirut are going to keep quiet about that? This this is where we start. That I mean, that's a good point. That's where we start getting into a more complicated conspiracy because then you are like, how the fuck do they keep this a secret? But similar to UFOs. There is a lot of as much publicity as there is out there for like UFOs are real. And prior to this past year, there was just as much information and some might say propaganda out there for you to believe that UFOs are a joke and people who believe in UFOs should not be taken seriously. Sure. But one more question, though, if. Mark David Chapman knows he's going to Beirut on behalf of the United States government, then why isn't he saying anything while he's sitting in jail for 30, 40, 50 years? This is part of the Manchurian candidate theory, which is he wouldn't know he was under mind control. So it'd be like, but wouldn't you still, you'd still know that you were working with the government, wouldn't you? I don't think so. And here's, here's what? why, here's why. Because, okay, so you meet this woman who is weirdly excited about you, even though you're a piece of shit and sure, yeah, yeah, you yeah. are not fun to be around. And you're like, okay, this chick keeps showing up. So this is actually a great secret for people who are attracted to depressives and more unhinged people just keep showing up because eventually they're just going to be like, well, if I like you or not, it doesn't matter. You're part of my world because you keep showing up. There's something to be said about persistence, folks. So this is why I think she's also involved. She helps book him all these trips. Sure. It would have to be someone like that because he could not possibly have been that involved and not said something at this point. Yeah. So in his mind, this woman keeps showing up. He's like, I guess we should get married. And they book these trips. And he's she's like, here's why you gotta you gotta go to Beirut. Here's why. You gotta go to Japan. Here's why. He's like, 
yeah, I hate my fucking life. So this sounds fucking great. Because here's the other thing, too. Somebody who's so, like, worldly traveled, I feel like in my experience, it's really hard to be, like, a world traveler and also be, like, off your rocker because you have to be somewhat coherent to show up for the flights and you be exposed to other cultures. So for you not to, like, violently react or have um, a negative relationship with the people you're meeting on your worldly travels, you usually have to be pretty open-minded and pretty flexible, I guess is what I'm saying. And what we're seeing with Mark David Chapman is that he doesn't really come across as the most like flexible, easygoing guy other than his erratic traveling. No, but he did marry a non-white person. (laughs) Which probably would have been very sinful for his Christian background. Although... I don't know. I'm like trying to think about it because like at that point in time, though, too, a lot of people came back from both the Korean War and Vietnam War with Asian wives. So it's more acceptable than if he had married a black woman, I suppose. Sure. Yeah, I I definitely get that for sure. And in Hawaii, where it's like probably way more acceptable because there's a huge indigenous polynesian population there i don't know in the end if i were to believe the conspiracy theory it would all be pinned on the wife right so she i that's why i think if this theory is true she would somehow have to be involved and probably the best way to know if she is actually involved is looking at her income and her financial history because then that would be the payoff right it's like we're gonna recruit you to help us get this guy and or we're gonna recruit you to help recruit somebody so whoever you find in your experience recruit somebody to kill john lennon for funsies and so she finds him this guy she sends him to all these locations he's going to places that she recommended and he thinks he's going there for whatever reason, maybe to see a movie, maybe to experience <laughs> something. And they're like, okay, oh, yeah. we're going to have you watch this film. And then you start the hypnosis process. You wouldn't necessarily have a memory of what was happening to you in the times of being hypnotized. Would you? Oh, well, no, but I do think that at some point it has to be like, a neurotypical person may be like, wow, gaps in my memory. That means something. And I think that the fact that that isn't what he thinks might be something to explore. Wait, say that again. All right. So Mark has gaps in his memory, but a neurotypical person might be like why do I have gaps in my memory let's think about this whereas someone who might be a little bit abnormal may think this isn't something noteworthy yeah yeah and 
there could be a lot of explanations like when you come to consciousness you will remember watching this movie or you will <laughs> whatever the case is they could fill in the gaps of your memory in some capacities yeah but that's that seems a little too much that seems like if we're gonna believe that then we better believe that cults brainwash people i don't i don't see the difference I think the difference would be the technique being used. I don't know. Well, and cults do use, some cults do use what they would call prayer meditation as also ways to reinforce sort of mental ways of thinking. But I think in the study of cults, that's the least effective part of the cult. Sure, sure. But then you could also argue like, so Gloria Chapman is on this assignment to find this man what's the likelihood that she's gonna find a guy who is already like mentally prepared to murder john lennon oh i think well first off i think he wouldn't even necessarily have to be like full-blown i want to murder this guy he just basically it's like what are your feelings about john lennon oh i hate the guy and here's why great we're already halfway there Oh, you're also abusive and probably emotionally unstable. And even if he came out and said the government was controlling me, much like people argue Lee Harvey Oswald, where he came out and said he was a patsy, it doesn't necessarily read as believable from somebody with an unhinged history. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I mean, with the evidence presented... If we were in court and it was like, okay, is there a reasonable doubt that he committed this crime alone? And I would say yes. I would say yes for a couple of reasons. And one of, I mean, the biggest reason being his wife, at the very least. She was where he was traveling around. She was where he went to New York once to try to kill the guy. And then she stated she wasn't surprised when uh, he was murdered and it was her husband. At the very least, it feels like maybe she wasn't the one pulling the trigger, but it does feel like somehow she was oddly involved. And the whole like going down to Atlanta to get bullets from your friend who's a sheriff. I feel like that's also a very bizarre connection that i also don't understand and from my research not to say that there isn't like a more justified one out there but it does seem like it's crucially explored as to why it would make sense like you could buy bullets in new york i don't know why you had to go to atlanta to get the bullets just a couple more things i'm sorry we're just gonna keep on talking so I think that since neither of us are lawyers, we don't necessarily know this, but I would think as a non-lawyer, layman person, I would argue that I would have said not guilty to a CIA conspiracy because the idea is that I think you're looking at it the wrong way where you should, it is first innocent and then it's guilty. And so like you have to prove like it's like a 51% kind of thing. And I don't know that we can say 51% is 
the CIA is controlling this guy. Well, that that's why I'm saying I'm saying acted alone in general and not saying ah okay, it was okay. completely CIA. I'm saying if he's on the stand and they're like, did I think there's reasonable doubt that he might have someone else would have been involved. There's like a lot of bizarre details to this. They're not incredibly rational. And I do think while I think that having a mental illness can cloud what's rational, what's not, it just seems erratic enough to me that I don't know if there's many high functioning people who are that irrational. Does that make sense? I, it does, and but in that aspect, I feel like it's more like he should have absolutely pled insanity. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he was the one that told his lawyers, I'm not doing that. Right, and that's, I mean, in the, in that case, like, what can you do as a lawyer? You have to kind of, it could have been a totally different situation if they if he had said like that. Well... I think there's a couple of ways to sort of look at that because claiming insanity to an insanity plea is actually very, very difficult to prove because insanity isn't just like, oh, I was crazy, so I shot a guy. It's like you have to prove that the person has no context for right or wrong at all. And seeing how he was like, pretty high functioning in society i think it would have been a very difficult plea for his lawyers to prove anyways so him being like i'll just prove guilty or plead guilty it was probably kind of doing them a favor in some ways (laughs) like yeah we probably couldn't really prove insanity anyways i don't know like i i I really don't know because i i don't know what goes into that but at the same time like he had previous brushes with psychological issues so it doesn't seem that far of a leap to me what's the difference between competency to stand trial and insanity defense competency to stand trial hinges on the defendant's current mental state at the time of trial so that's like him being able to go up and talk right In reality, if the defendant is deemed incompetent, there is no trial and no conviction or acquittal. We were at the point, though, with this, that there was definitely going to be a trial. So the insanity defense has nothing to do with the defendant's current mental status. To be found guilty by reason of insanity, a judge or jury must evaluate the defendant's state of mind at the time of the offense. What are the legal standards of insanity? Each state and the District of Columbia has its own statute setting out the standard of determining whether a defendant was legally insane and therefore not responsible at the time of his crime was committed. In general, the standards fall into two categories. About half the states follow the Monoton rule based on the 1843 British case of Daniel Monoton, a deranged woodcutter who attempted to assassinate the prime minister. He was acquitted and the resulting standard is still used in 26 states in the U.S. A defendant may not be found guilty by reason of insanity if, at the time of committing the act, he was laboring under such a defect of reason from disease of the mind 
as to not know the nature and the quality of the act he was doing. So that already is negated because he has said, and he was saying at the time that part of the reason he did this murder was so he could become famous. And so if they have that on record. That's going to, by the monotonous rule, I think that's going to make it really difficult to prove that he's insane. I get it, but in hindsight, if he doesn't do interviews for six years, can you really say he was doing it for fame? Yes, because of his police interviews. Way he said that. Yeah. And that sort of adage to what I was saying about the nature and the quality of the act, they would have to prove that he did not know what he was doing was wrong. Zog. This test is commonly referred to as right-wrong test. So him already saying, I am completely responsible for this, telling the cops that, like, yeah, I did this because I wanted to be famous. Like, you have implicated that you're aware that this was truly a wrong act. Okay, that's fair. I get that. But if if that weren't the standard, I think you could say, like, the weird shit, like, singing to John Lennon's son and stuff indicated that he was not aware of right and wrong at that time. I feel like that also, though, it's like like a hitman thing. Like, that's something I feel like you see in mafia movies is like... Well, yeah, but that... I, I, I mean, I'm not saying that mafia movies justify or that hitmen really behave in that way, but it has that feel of, like, I'm doing... I'm done an act that seems incredibly sincere and authentic but it's also with the knowledge of knowing that he is capable and wanting to kill the father of that child very creepy that's creepy as hell i don't want that is the i think that's the worst detail of this story to me yes i almost left it out and then i was like well we could go there I'm, yeah, that is that is chilling, for sure. Any anything else? No, but I would uh, I would uh, <laughs> follow the story and see what happens. Oh, see if there's any updates. Twenty twenty two Chapman's twelfth parole hearing is scheduled, and also just to make this kind of note because I think. I don't know if it's silly or petty or what, but like the fact that Yoko Ono like won't forgive this guy is kind of shitty, in my opinion. It's it's really wild how if you're gonna talk about the hypocrisy and being a part of all these statements about love and being open minded and exactly being progressive. She kind of does fall short of that. That being said, it was the father of her child, the love of her life, the person she thought she was going to be together with at least for a good run. So I don't know. How how petty would you be if someone murdered your husband? <laughs> like, it's weird. It's just a human visceral thing that's hard to dissect. That, yes, it would be nice if she could be progressive about it i i get that but i think that at least nowadays in 2021 i don't know why i keep on saying that it's just my thing today but it's like now 
I would hope that I would be aware enough to be like, yes, I'm feeling this. I feel intense hatred towards my husband's murderer. But I also realize that that is a emotional reaction to this event. And so my feelings on the guiltiness of the murderer are irrelevant and we should leave it up to the courts. And if anything, you that would be a great time to use your platform to probably encourage at least a real treatment. Yeah. I think we've made it known and clear on this podcast that we don't really consider prison an effective way to deal with the problems in our society. So it does seem like, if anything, she would write in and be like, I do think he should be under care, but maybe out of a prison's care and in a mental health facility's care. That would also be my argument, but then we can also talk about how, well, the justice system isn't really set up for those kind of things and yeah et cetera, et cetera. which is why the justice system is kind of becoming more and more antiquated as we become more and more knowledgeable of the human mind yeah for sure so that's what people mean when they say abolish prisons folks okay it's not saying that people should be left to their own devices uh that's my platform time <laughs> my soapbox i'll step down <laughs> If there's nothing else, I will play this song. The song is allegedly the song he recorded on his last day of life with his wife. It's called Walking on Thin Ice. And Yoko is on the vocals and John is on guitar for the song. And I thought the lyrics are pretty compelling. But I'll have you listen to them and then I can read them to you. Definitely has that new wavy sound we were talking about. Yeah. And that's definitely not John Lennon, right? That's just a the person gu- that's... The guitar part's him. The vocals are Yoko Ono. Oh, no, I mean in the video. Oh, that was him in the video. I think that's... It was him in the video. I think that's footage. I think... Like the last day before, the, before he died? Molly's watching this video, and there's kind of two things happening in the video. There's shots of Yoko, very modern, very 80s walking around New York City. And then there's like these very clear flashbacks of her and John. And judging by the look of her and John's look, that looks pretty authentically John to me. Oh. 
I see. See, I thought it was. No, that makes a lot more sense. I was thinking more of it in a modern sense where you'd be like, this is funny. Well, not funny, but like this is <laughs> this is poignant because he died. And now I'm going to. Yeah. But anyway, no, that that's um, silly. So, yeah, I part of the reason I picked that is because I thought it was really compelling that this is like the last song he records and the lyrics. Sure. Are, yeah. I gave you my knife. You gave me my life like a gush of wind in my hair. Why do we forget what's being said and play games, play the game of life with our hearts? It's just like, I mean, and there's there's multiple lyrics even within or stanzas in the song that all probably just have the same sort of meaning. Oh, I should have played all the way from the beginning where it's like walking on thin ice. I'm paying the price for throwing the dice in the air. Why must we learn it the hard way? And play the game of life with your heart. Like the song is like very much of like the risks we take and the vulnerability in that. And seeing as how he died right after recording it, it's just like, damn, for real though. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for listening to me do a whole series on the Beatles. It was good. I was glad that we did it because I still like... I'm now more knowledgeable about the Beatles. You have clearer opinions for the next time you go to your post-COVID hangout and someone busts on the Beatles. You're like, oh, I have an opinion. I think so. So, Molly, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at MollyMM9. How about you? You can find me on the same platforms at Bridget underscore suck it. You can find this podcast on those platforms at sex with ghost underscore on our social media. We do have a link to a survey that we are asking you to fill out. We are doing a raffle. I think we're doing it for at least one more month where we will give you a thank you prize for filling out that raffle. Um, This is just a way for us to do quality control. We're coming up on a year. We may have plans for a year episode, but your input will help us direct what direction we want to go into. Um, you can also support us by going to Patreon, patreon.com slash sex with ghosts. That money helps us buy mics, send out raffle treats and We definitely provide extra content there to show our appreciation to you, the listener. Or you can also support us by going to Apple Podcasts and giving us a five-star review. Anything else? I don't think that. I think that's it. All right. Let's get the heck out of here. Bye.